My friends, there is a saying that I have truly grown to appreciate. And the saying goes, science tries to find out how things work. Religion is all about finding out what they mean. I find that saying partially correct. And the reason I say partially is because you really can't separate that cleanly one from another. Everything that means something works in a particular way, and everything that is made to work is used for a particular meaning. And so there is a relationship between the two. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because what I want, would like to do is to give you kind of a preamble to what I see Jesus doing, not just in this scene with the woman at the well, but what, is, what he has, is doing in his entire ministry. But this view, I want you to, to be able to look at it from, as it were, almost like 40,000 feet looking down. You know, when you go on an airplane, you can see how the fields are all structured and, and you can see the structure of the sea. Well, when you're really down close, you really can't see that. And so you don't see, you can see how things are connected, but you don't see where they go. The higher up you go, the more you can see. And if you go into outer space, you see a little ball called the Earth, and you can really, uh, you can really appreciate what we're talking about. So let me just talk to you a little bit about about how I can uh, see if I can explain to you how I see what Jesus is doing. I want to begin by drawing your attention to a Catholic concept that all of us have, and that is the concept of original sin. Now, I, I have not liked the term original sin. Um, the reality is true. It's a church teaching. But the term sometimes, I guess maybe it's just the way that I was brought up. You know, when I, I still remember going to catechism. Um, I, was, I, I was born in 49, and in, catech in the catechism, they used to show you these, these little, uh, the, the way that the Baltimore catechism, I remember it, they, they say, when God created you, you were like this little white milk bottle. And it was all very, you know, you were clean, all milk. And then, because of original sin, the milk turned totally dark and putrid. And then when you got baptized, the milk turned back to all clean and white. And then as you went through life, then you got spotted, you know, and then every time you went to confession, you weren't clean again. That's a very superficial understanding. It's interesting because we don't, even though we adults, we, we don't have a tremendously trem uh, deep understanding 
of original sin. It's more a, a caricature that we have of original sin. And the reason I, I have to tell you this is because, and I've said this to you a thousand times, and I'll probably say it another thousand, salvation means absolutely nothing if you're not in trouble. You, if, you, if everything in your life is going well, and you don't want anybody to touch anything, somebody says, I'm here to save you, you think it's nice, but okay, but no, don't do too much. Don't alter my life too much. But it's only when you pay attention, the fact that you're in trouble or you're drowning, then all of a sudden, the same salvation makes all the sense in the world because you're helpless and somebody needs to rescue you. So I, I like to use, instead of the word original sin, just a different way of saying it. The sin at the origin. The sin at the origin. Now, what does, what does the church mean by the sin at the origin or original sin? We obviously know that the church is using the meaning, not necessarily the facts, but the meaning of the story of Adam and Eve. Remember, this, the, the Adam and Eve is a story. It's a story. We don't know, scientifically or historically, we do not know whether there was an Adam and Eve or not. Could there have been? Yes, of course. Could there not have been? Yes, of course. Does it matter? No, it really doesn't matter. That's why the church says it leaves it up to you. It's kind of like, you know, I always like to use the example of the little boy who cried wolf. Did that ever really happen? Well, most people say, nah, it's just a story. How do you know? Maybe there was a real little boy who cried wolf. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe it was a made-up story. Does it matter? No, because the point of the story is still true. So the church leaves the historical details up to us to believe whatever we wish. And by the way, there seems to be fairly good evidence on both camps. Too much to go into right now. But original sin, or the sin of the origin, what the, cheat, what the church is teaching us is that at the origin of humanity, whatever happened, at the origin of humanity, something went drastically wrong. Something went drastically wrong. So that the human beings who were created in God's image and likeness and were given what is called the original permission the original permission is, God says, here's the Garden of Eden. You can eat from every one of these trees. Given the permission, you've got the whole run of the place. Enjoy. The trees symbolize music, art, uh, uh, history, poetry, sexuality, uh, sports, everything. Enjoy. Enjoy. But if there's one thing that you may not eat, and there's this story, in the story, there is a tree. 
Now notice at the center of at the center of the of the garden, there is a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the tree of life, you're free to eat the tree of life and all the trees. But what about this tree of knowledge of good and evil? And of course, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is symbolical. It's a symbol in the ancient world, the knowledge of good and evil did not just mean the distinction of knowing the distinction between good and evil. In the ancient world, knowledge of something, when you possessed knowledge of something, you had, it was understood that you had control over what you knew. So no knowledge equated control. So when the serpent, who is slated as Satan, says to, to Eve and Adam, did God really tell you not to do that? And he says, no, you know, God's just really afraid. He's afraid that you will be equal to him. You will be able to decide what is good and what is evil, regardless of what he says. So if God says, this is not good, you can say, hmm, I'm sorry, God, I disagree with you. This is good. So you basically begin to be like God. And even Adam said, mm, that sounds good. And so what happens? They eat of the fruit. By the way, the, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple. It just says a fruit. But remember, God is not going to condemn us for eating a stupid fruit. The decision was to decouple, to disconnect from God. In other words, we can be who we want to be regardless of your design of creation, regardless of your design of us. And so at the moment when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, what is happening is a disconnection. There's a threefold disconnection. They are disconnected from God, they are disconnected from each other, and they are disconnected from themselves. It's kind of like everything breaks down because the serpent had lied. Their only way that we could exist is by following our design. It's kind of like, you know, if you buy a car with a very sensitive engine, you have to you are technically free to do with that car whatever the heck you want. But you are not free to enjoy the car the way it was meant to be if you put cheap gas in it and you never, you never change the oil. You are technically free to do it, but the car will not run. Why? Because in order to freely enjoy the car the way you intended it, and it was intended to enjoy it, you need to observe the design of the engineers. If you don't do that, it's not going to work. It's the same thing with us. God designed us. He designed all of creation. And so we have to observe in order for us to work. And the moment you get disconnected from God, from each other, and from yourself, you don't know who you are.
You don't know who you are. And notice what begins to happen. The very first thing when they eat of the fruit, they're naked. That always has been, I think I've said this to you a million times, I find that tremendously interesting. Because nobody, when you're in the shower, nobody never needs to tell you that you're naked. You know you're naked. Why is it that God, who right after that, God is seen walking through the garden, and, and, and God says, Adam, Eve, where are you? And Adam says, we were naked, and so we hid. And I think the next sentence from God is just amazing. He says, who told you you were naked? Now think about that. When you're naked, do you need anybody to tell you that? Well, of course not. The, 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 the thing is, the concept of nakedness did not exist. It, it did not exist. The, the concept of shame and nakedness had no existence. And look at the evidence nowadays in our own cult, in our own world. We are the only animals that have clothes. The only ones. Go home to your dog and tell him to put some clothes on. Of course not. Cats. Nobody. There's no such thing as clothes except in the human animal. And so what, you're, what we're dealing with is the disconnection from yourself, from your body. You look down, you go, what the heck is this? And then Adam and Eve begin to blame each other. Adam says, the woman made me do it. Oh, the serpent made me do it. And then you have Cain and Abel, you know, um, murdering each other, murder, Cain and Cain murdering. And, and all of a sudden you have all this chaos. Why? Because we've been disconnected. You know my favorite image for that? My favorite image is, imagine a hose connected to a, an out, an, a, a spigot that has a high pressure of water, and it's connected to another side, and the pressure is high. Now disconnect the hose from the receiving end and leave it disconnected, but don't turn off the spigot. What do you get? That hose begins to do this. All over the place. Why? Because it's disconnected from its destination. That's you and me. You and me are doing this all over the place because we're disconnected. Now, what does that mean? And what is this related to this? Because it's common. Here's the, here's the point. When human beings are disconnected and begin to blame each other and violence comes into the world and all kinds of stuff, we do not know historically, again, what happened. But you don't have to, you know, the, the teaching of the sin at the origin or original sin is the only object, not the only, but one of the few objectively verifiable teachings of the church that all you have to do is turn on the TV and you can see it all over the place. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And even when human beings try to live together, what is called culture. What is culture? Secular, secular culture. In other words, culture, the way we understand culture, means us living together in an organization that has God on the outside. That's, that's culture. It is us in charge of us and killing each other and hurting each other and misunderstanding each other and trying to live together, but it's chaos, but this is all we got. And this is culture, 
with God on the outside. So the question then becomes, then what is God supposed to do? What is God supposed to do? Well, because it turns out that God is love, he wants to call us back to reconnect with him. Remember, the etymology of religion is to reconnect. Religion means to connect. Re is again. And so the whole job of God, starting in the Old Testament, he begins with the Jews. And Jesus will say it in the gospel today. He says, salvation is from the Jews. Uh, you know, my favorite image of that, because when we say the Jews are God's chosen people, we don't, God did not choose the Jews for the sake of the Jews. God chose the Jews for the sake of humanity. It's, it's kind of like, um, let me give you an example. When you get an injection, okay, a shot, the shot goes in at a specific point in your body. But that which is going in is not meant for that little spot. That may be the entrance point, but the entrance point it does, not, is not, that does not define the mission of whatever you got injected. The mission of whatever you got injected is for the whole body. Well, God's injection into the hum humanity is the Jews. That's why Jesus says salvation is from the Jews. The problem is that the Jews understood it to be for the Jews, but, but they're not. It's salvation is from the Jews. Now, here's the, here's the kicker then. Jesus is coming in to human culture. Human culture is, remember what it is, we have built it, all generations, American culture, Jerusalem culture, Rus Russian culture, medieval, whatever culture you want, it's all made by us with God on the outside. Oh, little sprinkles of God here and there. But it's chiefly God on the outside. And so in and of itself, culture made by us is to some degree oppressive. Not to all degree. It's kind of like, what, what is it? Um, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, uh, uh, democracy is the best, uh, is the best of all, um, what is what? The best of all forms of government. Of course, it's, it's best because the, the, all of them are bad. This is just the least bad of them. And it is. All human cultures, American culture, every culture, is messed up. It is messed up. In some way or another, as good as it gets, it can never be what God intended. It's always, that's why, that's why God always says, Ecclesiam Semper Reformanda. So Jesus comes in, and what's he got to do? The first thing he's got to do, which is going to get him crucified, it's going to get him crucified, the first thing he's got to do is deconstruct, begin to take apart the culture at the point of the injection. That's why when Jesus, when you hear Jesus saying, you have heard it said that, and then he mentions something from the Old Testament, and then he goes, but I say to you, notice what he's doing. He's taking things apart. And he's telling us what the original design was. 
not the one that we came up with, even though the Old Testament was inspired by God. But still, it wasn't clear enough, and it had a lot of faults in it. Jesus is bringing, that's why he says, everything is going to be, be good until it is fulfilled. He comes to fulfill it. In and of itself, the Old Testament is not good. Okay? So, what, what happens then is Jesus is coming in to this whole culture. And remember, I want you to remember this. Remember when Satan takes Jesus to the high point in a mountain? And Jesus and Satan says, see all the kingdoms of the world? These are all mine. Notice he says they're all mine. And I will give them to you. Why are they his? Because it's all culture with God on the outside. And so what Jesus comes in and starts doing is taking things apart. Now, it's too long to go into what's, you know, all the instances in, in the gospel. But look at what's happening today in this gospel. First of all, Samaritans, Jews and Samaritans don't talk to each other. Samaritans are descendants of Jews who were conquered by the Assyrians in the 7th or 8th century before Jesus, and they intermarried with the Assyrians. So all the Jews in Jerusalem consider the, Jew, the, the Samaritans half-breeds, and they don't, they, don't, they don't want anything to do with them. And there is a tremendous antipathy between the Jews in Samaria and the, the, the Judeans, the Jews. And so the Jews would have nothing to do with it. Notice, if it were up to the apostles, they would have never gone into Samaria. They would have gone around. But notice where Jesus is. Jesus goes directly to the place that has been designated as do not touch. Do not touch. Notice the culture. The culture of division. And so Jesus goes because he's there to deconstruct, to take it apart, to, to build the bridges and reunite. And so he goes up to this woman. First of all, in the ancient world, men do not talk to strange women. Jesus is left alone with a woman he's not supposed to talk to. She was considered not only a Samaritan, but, my God, she's been married five times. Do you know why she's alone? Do you know why she's alone? She's alone because she's been divorced five times and nobody wants to be with her. You stink. We don't want to be with you. And so Jesus, notice what Jesus does. He intentionally deconstructs that wall between the Samaritans and between the public sinner and the, and the, the public sinner who's this horrible woman, and he begins to talk to her. He begins by saying, give me a drink. And notice the woman. The woman says, what are you doing? You're a Jew. You're not supposed to be talking to me. And she, you know, she, she, she doesn't know what is, what's happening. And then Jesus says to her, I would have given you living water, and you would never be thirsty. Of course, the woman misunderstands it totally, okay? She thinks, oh man, magic water, I will never have to drink again. Jesus is not talking about that. Notice he says, if you, living water is something that comes from inside of you, and he, and it, it, it is a full, it, Jesus is constantly using imagery, imagery of water, which doesn't make you thirsty, of food, which you will not be hungry. 
because he's talking about something spiritual. But notice, he, what is he doing? He is deconstructing the culture of the time. And you will see it throughout his ministry. Throughout his ministry, who's he, who is he clash most with? He clashes most with the Pharisees. Why? Because they're the ones who are trying to keep the law exactly the way it is. Exactly. They are very religious people. But they want, they want to keep everything. They want religion. And even religion, and even Jewish religion, can be an obstacle. Remember, Jesus was crucified by the most religious people. And so religion is not always good. Religion can crucify you. So notice what's happening. <coughs> what I want you to see. The ministry of Jesus is constantly taking apart the result of original sin. He's taking apart the culture with God on the outside and saying, I want to restore the culture and the disconnect. I want to reconnect you to God. I want to reconnect you to each other. And I want to reconnect you to yourself. That's the point. The point of, of religion, the point of Christianity, is for you to start thinking like Jesus. For you to start internalizing the way he thinks. Folks, now shut up after this. Folks, the point of being a Christian is not to come to Mass. It's not to check the boxes. The point of being a Christian is to learn how to look at the world from Jesus' point of view and to let that point of view be internalized inside of you to slowly begin, so that you begin to look at life the way he did. But you first have to let go of the way of thinking of the old world. That's why Jesus would talk about dying to yourself, that you have to die to the old ways of looking at life and begin to see the way of looking at life from God's point of view. Okay, I'll shut up.